Kids, go ahead and have a seat for just a minute because we're not quite ready for you to go to Kids Church. You will get to learn more about BGMC here in just a minute. But before we do that, we actually have some special guests with us here today. We have the Daly family who we have supported as a church, as our missionaries over in the Eurasia region, which we'll talk about. They'll explain a little bit more of what that means here in just a moment. But we're really excited to have most of the family, uh, all the family that's still at home. So uh, I looked this up earlier. I don't know if if we didn't talk about this, so I don't know if you guys even knew, uh, almost just a little over 10 years ago, it was June 26, 2011, that we began partnering with you guys as our missionaries, and we're excited to, to have them back with us today. This is the first time in, in five years. Your last trip here was 2016, so some of you, if you've been around for a while, you may have met them before. Uh, if you haven't got a chance to, today's going to be a great opportunity for that. My first time to meet them was actually at General Council in 2019. Uh, They happened to be in for that, and we had exchanged numbers, and so we met up at a little uh, coffee area near where the the General Council sessions were, and I loved getting to meet their family and hear about what they were doing. And, uh, of course, we've been praying for them. So even if you haven't been here since 2016 and met them the last time, you've seen their picture as we pray through our missionary list. We've prayed specifically uh, about a year ago. Donna had a surgery. We were praying for her. The Lord uh, brought great healing to her. So we celebrated that, and and they've done a great work, and I want them to share um, a little bit about that today. So they've got photos for us. They'll tell us a little bit about their work, and then there are two kids that are with them today, Colin and Alyssa. They're actually going to go back to Kids Church with Malia this morning, and kids, you're going to get to learn about what BGMC is doing, not just from Malia, who's telling you about it and showing you the pictures, but from actual missionaries on the field using BGMC money, like the money we just collected, to tell kids about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So you guys are going to have an extra special Kids Church time, but before you go, I want you to hear from Brett and Donna. So would you welcome them this morning as they come to share what God's doing through them in the Republic of Georgia? you go anywhere, we have a little presentation. Um, so we, we love our supporting churches. You guys are not just supporting. We, we think of you as partners. Because we wouldn't be where we are without you guys. Missions uh, is a two-sided coin. There's those who give and there's those who go. And it takes both to make missions happen. And so we're so thankful for all of you guys. And so this is just a small token of appreciation to the church. Um, It's a a hand painting by apparently a lady named Estia. It is hand painted. And it's pomegranated. Pomegranates. Um, pomegranates are just a, a part of our life. We have a pomegranate tree in our backyard. They're all over the place. They're naturally grown there, and it's in a lot of the artwork in Georgia. So um, you guys enjoy that, Beautiful. and we appreciate you guys. Thank awesome. you. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, if you want to see this, come come uh, up after service. Take a look at it. It's very, very beautiful. Tell us about Georgia. Well, just two little words. As the Azerbaijani would say is Cho uh, Sahulun which is, uh, thank you very much. And the Georgians would say, Didi Madlaba. Didi Madlaba. So uh, thank you, boys and girls, for BGMC and, uh, and, and all that you do with that and for all of you. Um, thank you so very much for your sacrificial giving and praying. And um, it is a joy to be back here in uh, Ewing, Nelsonville. Uh, we love this part of the country. And it is so, it is such a great time to, to be here. And I wanted to say to Pastor Isaiah, I really appreciate his uh, pastoral connection with his missionaries. 
Uh, he is always, and I mean this, in contact in some way about how can we pray for you, how can we be a part of what is going on always in communication uh, with us. And I want to say this. That is very rare out of many of the pastors that we have as our partners in Louisiana, Texas, northern Missouri. Um, he's, he's pretty hands-on with us. And I'm not saying that as a flattery. I'm just saying to you that for us as missionaries, at times it can be tremendously lonely on the field, surrounded by very few believers. And when a pastor representing a church is speaking into our lives and asking and saying to us, hey, uh, how can we pray? Hey, I see this is going. We're, we're standing with you. Hun, it makes a big difference, guys. So to all of you, to all of you, thank you. We love you guys. And what Donna's going to share and I here in the next probably six or seven minutes or so is um, this is when I say we say our ministry. Hey, church, look at us. It is ours. Ours. Mine and yours. And the reality of this is you will meet, see, live, and have fellowship with the people's that are one to Jesus, they are yours. Your fruit, part of your lives. And you need to grab hold of that, that people are knowing Jesus Christ because of you, that would never know. All right, so you can go ahead and go to the next slide. And so we do want to show you a few of the faces that are people that you've you've touched. Interns, people that have come to our home, little girls down the street that were part of our English club. Uh, you can continue. Um, people in churches that we prayed for, a little boy that had eye surgery because people gave. Uh, you can continue. <laughs> um, our friends who come to our house, fruit sellers that we met and just had opportunity to share with. All of these are people that have been touched, that we've held their hands, we prayed with them, we've loved them, and so you guys have also touched them as well. Continue, next slide. Um, coming up on this next term, uh, we're going to be focusing on two projects. Um, they're things that are very important and that I know you guys are going to be really excited about. This is going to be part of our, this is our life when we go back. We've been working towards it, and the first one is the Compassion for the Caucasus. Um, and this is going to be working with refugees, and it's going to be doing outreaches in the villages and remote areas. Uh, this aid to the Taravani church plant is one of our top priorities, and we've already started working with them. The next slide will show you some of the construction that's already on its way. And this settlement is refugees that are um, 
they're displaced people. So they are in this refugee village that is, uh, they're very poor. They don't have much of anything. They were given a home, but it's not really, they're building a community there. And so there is a church that's being planted there. It's not far from where we live, actually. And so we're really excited. But they're building a new sanctuary, and um, we're going to be part of that. You guys can be part of that. We're going we're gonna to put a roof on that thing. We're going to put walls on it. Right now, it's just a foundation but and a handful of people. The next slide, I believe, shows you some of the congregation there. This sweet woman, she came uh, at the the beginning of strawberry season, and she, her, Lisa is her name, and she brought her first fruits. That was her tithe. They don't really have much money, but she brought her tithe to the church, and it was her first fruits of the strawberries, and so we got to enjoy some of that. She was so proud. She was washing them and getting them all ready for us. She asked if we wanted sugar on them. We're like, nope, nope, just straight up strawberries is good, so they were really, really sweet. Um, all right, you can continue. Uh, something else in the Compassion for the Caucasus will be food distribution to the poor. Um, like I said, Georgia is a very poor country, so we'll be privileged to help, help people in basic needs like that. Continue. Uh, we're also partnering with some churches in the villages. Uh, we'll, Brett will be speaking there, and we'll be helping some pastors who really don't have much income, so we'll be able to help with them. Next slide. And then uh, also entrepreneurial projects. Uh, many people in the refugee settlement do not have a way to start a business, so we want to we want to do something for that, you know, to help people. Maybe help them buy some sheep or some chickens or some kind of a project to help them get started, so they can provide for their families. And then ministry to the elderly. If an elderly person doesn't have family, then they're pretty much forgotten. There's not welfare systems like there are uh, here in America. So we want to be able to reach out to the elderly and help them with um, just basic needs. All right next. So this picture, uh, this is our, our big thing that we're doing, and it's our Tbilisi church plant project. Um, you can see the lamplighter up there, and this goes to a story we were really touched by when we read it. Do you want to share that story? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So there was a story of uh, Robert Lewis, Lewis Stevenson when he was just a child, and back in those days, all of the streetlights were hand-lit at night. They were gas, and so there was a lamplighter who would come. And so before that happened, it was just pitch black dark, and the little boy was looking out the window, and his mom's like, what are you doing? And uh, he said, I'm watching that man. He's, he's punching holes in the darkness. And so that's what we are doing. We are, the Lord laid this Shine Tbilisi Church Plant Project, the name of it, because we want to punch holes in the darkness in Tbilisi. You can continue. That means sh share his incredible news everywhere. <laughs> Shine. So um, as we're raising budget for this project, these are the things that we, we're raising money for. For staff support, um, we need team members, both local people, and we need uh, Americans, missionaries who would come and help us. We're specifically praying for someone to come work with our kids and someone who will kind of be a tutor for Alyssa. So we'd like to find one individual or a couple who would do that. So please be praying for us to get that team member for that. Um, we're raising for hospitality, for marketing and media, an English school, and building expenses. So the English school will be an outreach for the church. Okay? Um, the, our big pool of people for this are the many English-speaking university students. 
we have a large number of, of young people from some of the most unreached countries in the world. I don't know if you can see the graphic right there, but we have a lot from Azerbaijan, Iran, Afghanistan, Nigeria. That little other section are people from the United Arab Emirates, so people from even like Yemen and really difficult places, but they come to study because it's cheap in Georgia, and all of, they have to know English to be able to study. So these are students who already know English, and they'll, when they go back home, these are people of influence. They're going to have degrees. There will be medical doctors in their communities. So we are really excited about this opportunity for university outreaches in Tbilisi to, as we build up the church. Next slide. This is a picture. You can have it in your mind as you're praying over the English-speaking church plant. Next slide. And uh, this is our partnering church, the, the Pentecostal Union, Union in Tbilisi. They're our church plant partner, and our, we're meeting in their facility. So God's blessed us with that. All right, these are things that you guys can be praying with us about. Like I mentioned before, we need team members. We have a few local. We have some Azerbaijani people and some Georgian that are wanting to be part of our team. Um, so, but we still need more, and we need those people to be really solid, helpful people. We need prayer partners. I know you guys, we can count on y'all for that already, but we need even more. So um, as we come back and starting our new budget, we need $2,000 in new monthly pledges. You guys have been faithful, and we need some more churches just like you. So pray for us to get more churches just like you guys. Uh, we're raising $20,000 for cash offerings, and that's our personal return to the field, our visa expenses, uh, language school, and all those kinds of things. And then for both the Shine Tbilisi Church Plant and Compassion for the Caucuses, okay, hold on to your seat, but our goal is to raise $150,000 for each of those projects. This is for four years, to last us four years. We want to do a lot of good. We want to we bless people. We want to draw people to Jesus, and, and it takes money. So, I mean, we, we, need, we need money to be able to give. And so we're just believing God for supernatural provision for those two projects. So the last slide. So we want to ask you, will you be a lamplighter? Will you be a lamplighter among the unreached in the caucuses? As we close this, I want to challenge you guys with what the Lord has challenged us. And that is to arise. Hey, listen. Matthew 24. We are in the last of the last days. You read that Matthew 24 and the signs of the times. And it is time for us to arise and shine. Because Jesus is coming. And the work's going to be finished. And it's time for our rewards and us to be with Jesus. Amen. And so let's arise together and let's shine a great light of Jesus, his love and his life, his message, and the Caucasus and in Tbilisi. Amen? Pastor. Amen. So let's physically do this. Let's arise this morning. You stretch out your hand. Colin, Alyssa, come up here with me. Malia, if you'll join me. Randy, Carolyn, if you'll come. Craig, Judy, if you'll come. Let's pray over them. And let's ask the Lord's blessing over this family as they are going to work. The rest of you, stretch out a hand to pray with us this morning as we pray over this family. Let's ask the Lord to help them punch those holes in the darkness. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for the Daily Family. Lord, we thank you for this great privilege we have had for a decade now of partnering with them in this work that they have been doing 
on the other side of the world, Lord, in a place that is filled with spiritual darkness. Lord, help them have the wisdom, Lord, as they navigate their itineration period to make the right connections. They are dreaming big, and we believe those dreams are from you, God, that they are going to go back to the Republic of Georgia, to to BC, and they are going to they are going to be the light in the darkness, or they are going to do great things. And we long to be a part of that, Lord, because we long to be part of seeing your kingdom built. So, Father, we pray your blessing on Brett and Donna and Colin and Alyssa, Lord, that you would touch them as they are giving themselves to this work, Lord, as they are pouring out their lives to see others come to know you, others come to experience your love and your grace and your power, Lord. Would you use them in incredible ways? We thank you for the gift of our time together with them today, our ability to partner with them and to continue to lift them up in prayer, Lord. May this be the first of many prayers we offer in the days to come for them. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everyone said together. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for praying this morning. Thank you both for sharing with us. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you like his, his outfit. He explained to me earlier that's a formal uh, uh, outfit that they would wear there. And uh, it's handmade. It's beautiful. So again, if you haven't gotten up close to him this morning, I encourage you to do that. Just one housekeeping thing, and then kids, you'll get to go this morning. Out front in the foyer, we do have our uh, table set up for them, and so they've got things from the country there you can look at, get some hands-on, and then most important, the most important thing I think on any missionary table are these little cards. They're prayer cards. If you don't have one, go get one. If you have an old one, keep that one, because it's got the rest of the family on it. Only Alyssa made the card this time, so, you know, let's, let's pray for him. Colin's, Colin's taking a, a year in a gap year, right? He just graduated high school, figuring out what's next, but, but he did not make the card, so <laughs> you can still pray for him, uh, but if you will grab one of these and be sure to pray for them, that would be the most important thing that any of us could do. So kids, this morning, I'm going to let you go to Kids Church with Colin and Alyssa. You get to hear a little bit from them about what they do with BGMC funds all over the world. Well, this morning, we are going to turn our hearts and our minds, and we're going to hear from God as he speaks to us through his word. This is the fourth week in our series that we have been walking through titled One Another, Worth the Work. And over the last three weeks, we have looked at 22 of the 59 one another commands that we have in the New Testament. We're not even quite halfway through this list, but if you've been listening, if you've been looking at these passages, honestly, the radical nature, the, the weight of these commands, the, the scope of what God is saying, how he intends to impact our lives and our relationships, it's really all-encompassing, isn't it? God is not silent. He himself intends to be the center of everything that we do in our work in our relationships, in our worship. It's all to revolve around him. And so he speaks directly to our lives. He gives us instruction for our lives that we need to hear. And so for the last several weeks, we've heard him say things from the word. Through the verses that we have looked at in this series so far, we talked about how Christians cannot be people who have shallow, surface-level, superficial relationships with one another. Christians are commanded to know one another. That means to be known and to truly know others. This is what the Lord has created us for. Christians are not people who gather or associate with one another for just recreation or for professional development or for political action. We are a new people 
who have been brought together, redeemed by God to glorify him personally and corporately commanded to regularly assemble ourselves together to worship God with one another. Christians are not in a temporary connection with one another either, as we talked about last week. We're not here because we have mutual interests aligned to short-term goals or because of convenience or preferences. Christians are called to be committed to one another because the God who has saved us, each Christian individually, has committed himself to us personally and sovereignly brought every one of the people around you into your life by his hand. So we have seen in the last three weeks, Christians are called to know one another. Christians are called to worship God with one another. Christians are called to commit to one another. And what we will hear from the word today is that Christians are also commanded to grow with one another. One of the key verses that has marked the trajectory and the intentions of what we are doing as a church for several years has been this text from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, a text I hope is familiar to you as you hear it. Peter writes, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This text has so much in this text for us to unpack, and we have done that at various times, but the command is clear. It's not a suggestion. It's not, uh, this is an idea. This is a command given to God's people. Grow in the grace and knowledge. I've unpacked that so we understand as we grow in the knowledge of who God is, we're talking about the person, the work, the word of Jesus Christ. And as we grow in our grace, our experience of his love and his mercy and his activity in our life. We're called to both of these things. Christianity is not just about experience. It's about objective truth. But it's not just about head knowledge. It's about experience as well. And we are called to grow in both of these. The scriptures make very plain to us, as we've talked about many times before. Christians, we are not called to stay the same. We are not called to become people who are content at any stage of this pilgrim life that we are walking upon. We are never to become complacent with where we are. We're never to become tolerant of the sin and the brokenness that we experience in us and all around us. We are called and commanded by the word of God to grow, to develop, to move towards the full sanctification, the perfection of the real eternal reality of wholeness and healing that we are headed towards, that God has really made us and redeemed us for. We're just on a journey now. So we come back to these one another verses this morning, and the idea that we want to examine is how we are called to grow with one another. So in the short time that we have this morning, I want us to hear God speak to us through his word on this idea of growing and what that looks like and what that will take from us in order to grow. Of these 59 one another commands that we have in the New Testament, most of them are positive commands. They are do this type of commands. But at least 10 of these commands are negative commands. Do not do this type of commands. And I want us to hear from these do not do commands this morning because they speak to us as well. So to give us a sense of what should not be marking us, what should not be defining us, the things we should not be doing, we can read God say things like Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another. Galatians 5.26, let us not become conceited provoking one another or envying one another. James 4.11 tells us, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. James 5.9 says, do not grumble against one another, brothers. 
We also see warnings in these do not do commands of comparing one to another. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, we're warned against attacking one another, even going so far as suing one another over trivial matters. This should not be in the Christian life, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 7. We're warned against being judgmental of one another, especially looking at someone else and the actions that they do or don't do in their devotion and thinking we are more spiritual than they are because of what we do or don't do in Romans 14, 13. And we are even warned against hating one another in Titus 3, 3. Now, reading all of these things, as I've been preparing this series, I've been reading through these commands over and over and over again. My heart is moved to grief hearing these things because it's heartbreaking that God would have to say them to his people, isn't it? But he does because we are all prone to these things. These are temptations that come upon every single one of us to live in these ways that God says we should not These are the common diseases that bring death and destruction into our lives and prevent us from growing as we are commanded to do throughout the scripture. If we do not obey the do not commands with our relationships with one another, then listen to what God warns us is actually happening in Galatians 5.15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The end result of living in these do not do commands, doing the things we should not do, the end result of that is destruction. Being consumed, the Greek literally means being destroyed, being done away with completely. That's what's at stake here. It is a serious warning in Galatians 5 as to what will occur if we do not obey the one another commands. If we do not do the hard work and we fall into the sin, we give in to the temptations, again, that we are all prone to do of attacking one another, turning against one another, then the other members in the body of Christ, there will be destruction brought into the body. It's not a light thing. It's not a trivial thing. You don't obey the 59 commands that are given here because, well, that helps us avoid some inconveniences along the way. No, the result of not living out the one another commands is destruction. So it's a serious warning. It's a weighty warning. There's real danger here. We understand this in in the physical world, right? The most dangerous and deadly diseases that we know of medically are the ones that cause the body to begin to attack itself right? As it devours itself, it's a serious matter. It's dangerous and radical intervention needs to happen, right? But we gather in this place not just to talk about physical things. We're talking about spiritually important things here. We're talking about not just bodies at at stake. We're talking about souls at stake. We're talking about eternal matters, not just temporary ones. We're talking about a destruction here that has eternal forever consequences, We're not talking about the kind of break that you can just fix or buy a new thing to replace. We're talking about complete destruction that God is warning us about. So to take the body analogy further in these one another commands, we can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 to 26 tell us this. But God has so composed the body, here speaking of the church, speaking of us, the spiritual body, 
giving greater honor to the part that has lacked it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. For if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God makes very clear all throughout his word to us, and as we've been seeing in this series thus far, we are connected. Our lives impact one another. Our relationships are real things that really matter and really affect us. They're not just ethereal concepts. They're part of the reality that we live in. And that's true because we are called to be part of one body, the text says. So a body doesn't exist if it's all cut up into different pieces and spread out. The body has to remain connected to function. So if we, all of us, Hear this, if in our anger, in our bitterness, in any other sinful heart posture that may take us captive, if we go and attack and cause suffering in another member of the body, the text says everyone will suffer for that. We're all connected. And God's design for his body, God's calling, what he intends for his body is unity, not division. But lest we hear that, And we take a simplistic view, a childish view, a one-sided view that says, well, we just are connected and we want that to go well, so we should just sing songs and have pleasant smiles and never do the hard work of dealing with the reality of indwelling sin in us, in believers. Listen to how God speaks to that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 18. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to highly esteem them In love, because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This text does not allow for us to sweep things under the rug, now does it? We're told in verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. There's the pursuit, there's the goal, there's what we're aiming for. But then immediately in verses 14 and 15, we're called to do hard work to get to that result, aren't we? See, it's the ignorance of Scripture and the ignorance of history that leads so many of us to think that peace is the default option. Peace just comes naturally. That's not true. Peace must be hard won. It must be fought for. That's the only way to have peace. And we need to understand this reality and live in this awareness that this life is a life of progressive sanctification. It's a struggle, a battle to put sin to death, to come alive to the things of God for every single one of us individually and as a body together. This is the real life work of what it means to grow with one another. To to live in reality and to do this hard work. See, the Bible is very real, and the Bible expects us to be real. So, listen, these are the words of God here in 1 Thessalonians 5. We cannot pretend, if we're going to believe the Bible, that there are not some who are, quote, from God, idle, faint-hearted, and weak, and at times people are tempted to repay evil for evil. God says that's the reality that you are living in. So pursue peace and work with those. Pursue those things. Put those things to death so you can truly have peace. 
This is what it means to grow as believers living in this world right here and now. Pursue peace. Always seek to do good to one another, the text says. And my friends, that's not just a coffee mug thought. That's a strong command that demands radical obedience, calling us in to battle, calling us in to the fight, calling us to pursue an outcome that will be hard won. The command is to always seek to do good one to another, which means we have to enter into the difficult moments. We have to grow through painful experiences. We have to be instruments of grace that expose sin and call people to repentance, particularly the one another's that God has put around us, put us in relationship with. So it's easier, as we've acknowledged, I think, every week for the last several weeks, it's easier to try and pretend, to try and ignore sin that exists. And when we do that, when I do that, the Bible calls us all fools. God warns us, sin is deadly and dangerous and it will bring destruction. Just think of the three verses that we have looked at in this last few weeks. Colossians 3.9 tells us, how should we live? How should we acknowledge the reality of the world? Well, Colossians 3.9 says we cannot lie to one another. At the end of the last sermon last week in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, we said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And, and verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The text is telling us if we ignore sin, if we pretend it's not there, then God calls us liars and proclaims we are not really his people. We have to live in the reality that acknowledges these things, deals with things, these things, puts them to death so that we can come to true life. This is serious stuff because Christianity is a serious thing. This is not the thing to play at. I said last week, Christianity demands we give up everything in order to gain everything. But that's the only option on the table. Christianity is not, I will give you some, I will give you part, and you give me some, give me part. It's all or nothing. So we're called. Walk in the light and truth. Grow with one another. Because we're all parts of one body, right? We're bound together. We're all going to suffer together or we're going to grow together. So hear what God says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. We'll unpack it as we go. Verse 25, therefore, therefore, having put away falsehood, right? Do not lie. Do not, do not pretend sin is not there. So now, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So again, I know sometimes we don't like the truth. But this doesn't say, walk in the truth you like. It says, walk in the truth. Speak the truth. Walk in it nonetheless. So we know, personally, there's a temptation that we don't want to accept the truth when it hurts us. We don't want to believe the truth when it reveals something that we just don't want to be true. To walk in the light is hard when we want to hide things in the darkness because that feels way less complicated and way easier. But we are commanded, speak the truth. Put away falsehood. And because we're all broken and sinful and God knows that, he knows us, he knows our responses, he's not surprised by what goes on in us, he knows how we feel, and so he warns us of a danger here that's driven by our feelings alone. 
He warns us in verse 26, be angry, but do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let's let's understand this rightly. Anger is an emotion created by God, wired into us by his good design. When God built us, he made us completely. It wasn't he built us and Satan snuck a few extra things in there. God wired us for that. We feel anger because God put anger in us. And we know that's true because there's righteous anger that Jesus expressed in his incarnation, right? He became angry at sin and he demonstrated that. And yet Jesus is said to be without sin. So is anger always sinful? No, there is righteous anger, which our Lord demonstrated. But the warning here to us, those of us who are just fully human, not fully sanctified yet, he warns us against the power of dwelling in anger. He warns us strongly against living in this. He says, don't dwell in anger, not even a day. Do not let the sun go down. Because it gives opportunity to the devil. And we don't think like that, do we? That's not our thought when we get angry. We think... I can handle it. I can use this. I am motivated by this. I'm going to get things done by this. That's our response when we get angry. God doesn't say any of that. He says far too often, all you do is sin. Do not dwell in anger. Our anger, though every time we feel it, of course we think it's righteous anger. (laughs) Because our little deceptive hearts tell us that. God says our anger most often leads to sinful thoughts and words and actions. So do not dwell. Do not let the sun go down. Do not give opportunity to the devil. And I'm saying this not as a guy who's conquered all anger. I'm saying this as a guy who feels anger, struggles sometimes to put my anger to death. These texts are speaking to me just as much as you. If you come in here and think, man, you know, pastor's always preaching at me. No, pastor's preaching to all of us, me included. This text is serious. The man who feels anger has to mortify it. The woman who feels anger has to mortify it. If you dwell in it, you give opportunity to the devil. It's not just to you. It's not just to me. It's to each of you. It's to each of me. Well, one me. It's to all of us. What we need to do is we need to be people who repent. People who turn from these things that are destructive and deadly. God illustrates the need for repentance in the very next verse, giving us an example that while anger is really hard to accept that that's what we need to do, the next example is plain and clear, right? He says in verse 28, so let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What God's saying is I'm not okay with you persisting in any type of sin at all if you're my people. He doesn't save a thief and say, great, welcome to the kingdom, now go on stealing. He doesn't save the murderer, welcome to the kingdom, go on murdering people. So he doesn't say to the angry person, welcome to the kingdom, go on being angry. He doesn't say to the person who's still with a heart bound up to darkness and lies, loving deceit, and say, that's okay, go on living in darkness. No, he's redeemed us and transferred us from that kingdom to the kingdom of light. He loves his people far too much to let us persist in our sins. 
He changes us. He equips us by the power of his indwelling spirit in us to mortify the indwelling sin that comes from our nature so that we can obey the command we started with, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then he applies it. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, so that it may give grace to those who hear. That's a command, isn't it? That's a hard command to hear. That's an even harder command for us to personally, privately begin to reflect on. That should be convicting. It has grieved me tremendously this week to hear some of the corrupting talk that is floating around. Lies, falsehoods, attacks being made in unrighteous anger in response to the truth and light. My heart has been broken over this. But it doesn't just grieve my heart. The next verse is verse 30, which says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Look at the grand scheme of things. It doesn't matter if I'm hurt or I'm grieved or I'm upset. In fact, that's the intent of some of the words. I get that. But here's what really matters. The Bible tells us the sins of persisting in lies and darkness and deceit and unrighteous anger grieve God himself. And that should strike at the heart of every real believer. That should convict every one of us. If you have been saved and sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit, and he is grieved, then we should be too. This thought should motivate change in every one of us. Should drive us to our knees. Should push us to repentance. In the next few words, he tells us then, here's how we apply Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It was not my original goal when wrote this series, and as I talked about this before, this has been something the Lord laid on my heart months before our current season in our church life. This verse wasn't intended in my mind to be the the theme verse for the series, but it was in God's mind because we've read it every single week. Here again, what God says to us in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This is what we must do. This is what God is saying to us. It's what it means to commit to one another and then to grow with one another. This is what it looks like to live out the hard work. We have to take this aim personally and corporately. We have to take sin seriously, directly, humbly, repentantly, We have to be committed to seeking restoration and the pursuit of true peace that only comes when we're able to forgive one another. And can we forgive one another? Yes, because God in Christ has forgiven you. That's that's the heartbeat. That's the strength. That's the motivation. That's the power. The gospel is the source of everything that we need here. Look, it's impossible for us to have 
true fellowship, to have real peace, to obtain anything that we've talked about in this series if we don't have the gospel at work in our hearts, if we're not believing in Christ, trusting in his grace alone to save us. Nothing else will bring these things to bear. The only way for us to navigate this life, and more importantly, to enter into eternal life, is to come to faith in Jesus. Not one time I prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, faith that's living and active day by day in Jesus. Experiencing over and over again forgiveness and mercy from him whom you have sinned against countless times. Daily we are called to repent of our sins, to trust in his declaration that for his people he has paid the price at the cross. And so this day, after whatever sins that's been filled with, he will give me grace and mercy when I repent, when I confess my sins, when I turn to him and seek forgiveness and restoration. And as we do that work day by day, we can do the work we need around us with other people day by day. If we are Christians, if the gospel is true in our lives, then his word and his spirit will work in us to change us and shape us, and we will grow with one another. This is the promise for true Christians. I have had more meetings and texts and phone calls in the last three weeks than I have had over almost any season of our church life since God put me here by his sovereign hand over three years ago. And I am incredibly grateful for those. I mean that. Truly grateful for every single person who has reached out, who has asked for time, wanted to have a conversation, pushed into the hard work that this really is. Thank you. I'm not going to name everybody. You know who you are. Thank you for doing the work. Thank you for pressing in. And I want to say publicly, once again, what I've said privately to many people in this room as well, I'm open and I'm available and I do want to have a conversation. So if you reach out, every single person in this room, if you reach out, we'll talk. Put it on the schedule, we'll find the time, we'll make it work. No matter what has happened, no matter what feelings may exist right now. This is my commitment. Get in touch with me, I'll schedule it, we'll talk, and I believe we will see God's grace work in growing us with one another. The series I believe to be very timely. I think these commands are so important to us in every season of life, but particularly in this season that we are in now. And all of it's completely from the hand of God. He is the planner, the architect of it all. He desires now to move us forward as a church who grows with one another. That's his command. That's his goal. That's what he's at work to do. So we're going to do something a little bit different today, similar to something we did a few weeks ago, but, but even further uh, different we're going to have a guided response time today that's a little different than what we have normally done. And the way we're going to transition into it is I'm going to read to you a fairly lengthy passage from God's Word because it's just speaking directly to us. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to grab it and turn to 1 Peter because I'm going to read the text. And then as we go to prayer and we go to this time of response, you're going to, I believe, need this in front of you to see how it is the Lord wants to speak to your heart and lead you in praying and responding. So I'm going to read this and then I'll explain what we're going to do. As we prepare to conclude, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. On the screen in front of you will simply be the reference there. You have a Bible in the pew in front of you. If you didn't bring yours, I'll encourage you to grab it and look at this text. There will be no formal dismissal this morning. The team is not going to come lead a song this morning. We have a few songs that are going to play from the back through the system to just give us a little bit of atmosphere to respond to the Lord. And I'm going to call upon every single one of us to pray, to look at these words, to meditate upon them, and then to pray, to respond to what God is saying through this text to us. It will mean repentance. It will mean an intentional meditation upon the gospel. And I believe the Lord's desire is for us to respond earnestly to him. So what we're going to do is I'm going to be up here at the front as I am always available to pray with you. I'm going to ask Brett if he would be available too uh, as, a, as a church planter. Praying with people is something he's uh, well used to. We had a, a beautiful time of prayer together last night in our home. And uh, I know he'd be, be very willing to pray with you. So if you'd like prayer, you can come get me. You can come get Brett. We'll pray with you. Brett and Donna will be here tonight for the harvest party. And their kids will be here. You'll have plenty of time to connect with them and ask missions questions and get to know them. Th these moments here, we're going to stay in this room until the Lord is done working with us. So when, if that's different for you, whenever you sense that release, okay, I'm, I'm good to go, then, then please just exit quietly out the back. And you're dismissed at that point. But as long as we need, we're going to stay here and pray and look at this text and meditate upon the gospel and repent. And we're going to commit ourselves to attaining what God is calling us to, growing with one another. Heather, go ahead and start the music. I hope you'll be back tonight at five for the harvest party. But before then, let's pray together and let's respond to the Lord. <laughs>